0: That's a loud computer. It is, yeah. Is that because that's where the model lives? The model is, on, is safely protected on a server. You don't carry the model with you? No. Where is the server? I don't know. Talk, Chris knows where it is. You don't know where the server is? No. You, like, your baby's just somewhere on a server, and you don't even know uh, where it is? I mean, there's a hard
1: copy here, to be fair.
0: So it is right here? It's a lot of places. The model lives in the metaverse. Mm. Does the model live in our minds? I hope not. It's up here, man. It's up here. I mean, these days it might. Speaking of which. Hello and welcome to the 538 Politics podcast. I'm Galen Drook. I'm Nate Silver, and, and this, this is Model Talk. Talk. This is our last pre-2022 midterm model talk we freeze the forecast at midnight at tonight. the stroke of midnight at the stroke of midnight so we're still about so sketchy i'm not gonna
1: name the pollster the sketchy pollsters who like release all the polls the day before and they all perfectly match the 538 polling average your time is up at midnight tonight
0: Ooh, you're accusing some pollsters of hurting at the last minute oh my god this one oh my this god one, this
1: one pollster hurts every year who is it they're a non-American based pollster. I'm not going I'm just going to subtweet a them.
0: A non-American based pollster. Can you at least tell us what country they're based in? I think they're Canadian. You think they're Canadian? Yeah. Who is it? Just tell us who it I'm is. I'm not going to say who.
1: I'm not going to huh. say who.
0: Really playing court with that information. Mm. Okay, listeners, if you can think of a maybe Canadian pollster that tends to herd towards 530 it's polling averages on the last day before an election, <laughs> let us know. Anyway, we are freezing the forecast at midnight, which is 12 hours away from now. It is about noon on Monday. So we don't have final, final numbers, but more or less, this is probably what the final forecast will look like. Republicans have a 55% chance of winning the Senate, an 83% chance of winning the House. The governor's races are toss-ups in Wisconsin, Nevada, and Oregon. Arizona leans Republican, Kansas leans Democratic, and every other governor race is either likely or solidly for one party. I only get to ask you this question one last time before election day, and I know it's your favorite question. So how would you characterize the race at this point, Nate? Too close to call. No, it's, it's a,
1: according to the headline on our interactive, it's a dead heat, although... As someone who cares about small percentage differences, you'd rather have a 55% chance of something than a 45% chance. So, therefore, it tilts ever so slightly toward Republicans. But it's important to remember that there's a wide range of outcomes.
0: Well, you do realize that Democrats are still above 50% in the light and classic models. Mm-hmm. 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 So they haven't fully converged on Republicans having the slightest of advantages. How do you feel about that? Yeah, but Deluxe is the better forecast. Deluxe is the better forecast? Yeah. Yeah. But I have a feeling that if Democrats barely hold on, you'll be like, well, the white forecast had no, Democrats up for a long
1: not It's a very close race, right? There's not really going to be any forecasting knowledge imparted by either party winning the Senate. If Democrats won the House, then that would be interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, so how would you characterize the House? I would characterize the House as, was it eighty three seventeen. I mean, you have a clear favorite in Republicans, but, you know, one in six chance, roughly. What, what's that Russian roulette?
0: It's not that crazy. I mean, which is certainly not a game I would play. So, uh... Yeah. Take no, those it, it's seriously. Not, it's not
1: that crazy for Democrats to win the House. It would require roughly, like, a three-point polling error, but that's a so-called, like, normal-sized polling error. People are just so... People are so f-ing stupid in politics... They're so stupid they can like only remember like what happened two years ago. There have been elections in the past, like 1998 or 2012, where Democrats beat their polls. It can happen. It happened in some of like, the special elections and so forth just this year. People are so f-ing dumb, though. They can only like think about one thing at a time. It's certainly possible for Democrats to beat their polls. And in that case, then the House becomes competitive.
0: Yes. Although, look, I think that if Republicans were to beat their polls, again, that would feel – more urgent because it would seem like election after election after we've talked about this more, plenty on It this would podcast. feel more urgent. I mean, it's a
1: big and night for the polling industry. And it would be in industry. many ways more
0: urgent, right? It's a big night for the polling industry. It is. Let's acknowledge that. We yeah. don't have to be like cynical or coy. It is. Yeah. This is a big election for polls. Yeah. Do you remember the last time one of our forecasts showed a 50-50 proposition like it does in the Senate right now? Wasn't
1: like 2020 the Senate or something? No.
0: When? It was 2016, the Senate. Oh, 2016 in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is, I mean, kind of ironic. I don't know if that's the correct use of ironic because it was exactly six years ago. But so it's think? the exact same seats that are up Oh yeah, this cycle. Do you know how that ended up turning out, that 50-50 proposition? Republicans won, right? Republicans won. It was 52 to 48. Yeah. Democrats flipped Illinois and New Hampshire. Yeah. Republicans held Arizona and Georgia. And, uh, yeah, how much has changed since then? In the past six years. I mean, Arizona and Georgia have become more blue. Well, thanks for that analysis. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Hashtag hot takes. Okay. So we will see what happens this time. I think our forecast suggests that people should be prepared for any result in the Senate ranging from Republicans winning 54 seats to Democrats winning 52 seats. That's the 80 percent Yeah. I
1: mean, there's kind of no like – either one party kind of wins big or you're kind of in for a fairly long – Evening, right? There's like well, no like
0: week potentially or month.
1: Week or month that there's a runoff in Georgia. And let's not neglect like the fact that like increasingly there's rhetoric from the Republican side primarily about like whether we should respect the election results. They don't turn out the way that we think. And so, you know, those scenarios are on the table too. A close election with the country. Being what it is right now, and a lot of election deniers, Republicans on the ballot, is quite a scary proposition, frankly.
0: Yeah, so let's talk specifically about how close this is. There are currently eight Senate races that are separated by five points or fewer. In our polling averages, Pennsylvania is even. In Georgia and Nevada, the Republican leads by one point. In Arizona and New Hampshire, the Democrat leads by two. In Wisconsin, Republican Ron Johnson leads by three. In North Carolina, Republican Ted Budd leads by four. And Republican J.D. Vance leads by five in Ohio. The average polling error in Senate races over the past 25 years has been about five points. Should we take that to mean that really anything could happen tomorrow? Well, let me make one point. The five-point polling error is on... A individual poll,
1: polling averages in theory are less error prone because they average out eccentricities and outliers, which is important in this election because you have a pretty big divergence between the traditional pollsters that show a pretty good night for Democrats and the more modern pollsters, how to put it, who generally show a good night for Republicans.
0: And so what's the average polling error on an average? Well, an in individual race, it's still fairly high. But less than five? Less than five. By definition, like an average is more accurate than an individual poll. To your point about institutional pollsters showing decent polls for Democrats and the sort of more modern, more partisan, and in this case, more Republican pollsters showing good polls for Republicans, does that mean that if the polls are spot on, like the averages are spot on, that actually everyone got it wrong because the institutional pollsters underestimated Republicans well, means, and the Republicans means, overestimated- it
1: 538 got it
0: right. Well, yeah, it means averaging is good. I mean, sure, but it would suggest that there's still um, trouble in the industry. No, in I a mean way. you
1: can't. Okay, well, now, now that's kind of. I mean, like, if the polling averages get it right, then you can't complain too much.
0: But look, I mean, we're this is model talk. We're looking under the hood here. If there are two sets of polls and one is significantly Democratic leaning and one is significantly Republican leaning, okay, I mean, and the average not, gets it. This, this,
1: right. this is not like it's not that big a difference, right? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, in some ways, a pluralistic view of polling is a decent way to go. If there's no gold standard anymore, right, then, like, people try different things. And, like, it's actually not so bad. It's not, it's not bad if you, you know, let's say that Democrats have a fairly good night. Let's say the polls are mostly right. Democrats do a little bit better than expected, lose the House, hold the Senate. You know, I mean, like, yeah, Trafalgar might look dumb, but they had a good year in 2020 and 2016. So that's OK,
0: right? It's OK. You don't have to nail every election. OK, fair point. How do the methods of the two types of polls differ?
1: One method is that you try to reach some universe of voters as though you are trying to
0: do polls the traditional way. I mean, what are you asking, Gavin? So, like, if we end up with results that hew closer to the institutional pollsters, what does that mean about what are the best practices? And if we get results that hew closer to the partisan Republican pollsters, what does that mean about the best practices?
1: I mean, the traditional best practice is that you use either random digit dial, meaning you literally just dial working phone numbers, or you use a list of registered voters and randomly select from those. So the premise is that you have an equal chance of contacting each person. You wait for known demographic divergences relative to your sample or to the electorate, and then maybe apply a likely voter screen. There's a little bit of art in that and then go from there, right? That's a traditional way to do polling. The non-traditional way is no one knows what the f- they're doing because they're extremely non-transparent. It's probably you contact voters however you can, right, and then do a lot of massaging and waiting behind the scenes to the point where, you know, when does a poll begin and someone's opinion begin? I, I don't know. When does the poll end someone's opinion begin? I don't know. But no, I mean, these groups are not very transparent. And over the long run, non-transparency
0: is associated with higher polling error. But it hasn't been recently, so who knows? Speaking of the likely voter model... We have expected that as we get closer to election day that likely voters would probably hew more Republican than registered voters because, as you suggested, pollsters have to make some determination about who's actually going to turn out to vote in a midterm election like this. Somewhere around 50% of eligible voters will turn out. So a lot of people who may have opinions on the election one way or another aren't actually going to register at the polls on election day. What is the difference right now? What do we see between registered voters and actual likely voters? So this has been kind of all over the place.
1: And the example I give is in the Marquette University Law School poll of Wisconsin. They're a pretty good pollster. In their previous poll, they had the race tied among Senate race, tied among registered voters, but Ron Johnson, the Republican, leading by six points among likely voters. In their most recent poll, they have Johnson ahead three among registered voters, but only two among likely voters, being that Mandela Barnes actually gained a point from the likely voters screen. So no one has any idea Really? There were a couple of polls this weekend from ABC News, our employers and NBC News that had very little difference between likely and registered voters. If that's the case, if there's not much of a turnout gap, if any, then Democrats are in probably a pretty strong position. Most of these polls assume that there'll be some GOP enthusiasm advantage. If there's not, the Democrats are going to feel pretty comfortable about holding the Senate and might even be viable in the House. I'm not sure if I count on that. Usually the Republicans have a traditional turnout advantage. Also, usually the opposition party is more fired up, but we're in a different world now where like all these college educated voters that Democrats are now, I was going to say in charge of, there's a big educational split in who votes for which party. And traditionally, people who attended college are much more likely to vote in midterm elections. So maybe that's, maybe that's shifted. Maybe Democrats will have a turnout neutral or edge even. And then those
0: upside scenarios, Democrats are entirely viable. Is there anything that's happened over the past month that would suggest that Democrats' enthusiasm has increased? I mean, it seems like if you look at the polling and if you look at the likely versus registered polling results, that like something has happened in the past month that has amped up Democrats more to vote. I mean, you
1: can tell some bullshit vibes narrative, right? We're like...
0: Well, but that's based on the data. I mean, I don't know what's behind it. Well, they're it, not but-
1: enough... So one thing that ABC and NBC did, which is good, is they actually publish the likely voter and registered results both so you can compare them. Most of the time, we have no idea, right? If you have a candidate four points ahead on the likely voter screen, is it because she was tied among registered voters, but the turnout enthusiasm helps her, right? Is it, you know, why does that occur or the opposite? Most pollsters are not very transparent about that. And so there could be a lot of fingers on the scale on the likely voter screen potentially. I mean, it's not crazy to think that like the Dobbs decision, Roe v. Wade being overturned, energized some Democrats early on Then the GOP kind of got their low hanging fruit, excited about the election with crime and immigration and inflation and whatnot, right? And now there are some Democrats who are hearing maybe the Biden democracies on the ballot message are like, this Republican's unacceptable to me. I have to vote. The election seems fairly close, which it is in the polls, right? In the Senate anyway. I mean, it's somewhat viable, I guess. There's also the issue of like non-response bias in polls, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, maybe people were excited about the vibes or down in the vibes and then affected whether they responded to polls or not, but. But, I, I mean, it's a plausible story, just like not that robust because we don't get enough polls that actually make this head-to-head comparison between likely and registered voters, which we which we should. Any pollster publishing likely voter number should also publish its registered voter number.
0: Well, it's interesting the story that you tell about Democrats being enthusiastic to vote after the Dobbs decision and there just being a backlash to that ultimately unpopular ruling from the Supreme Court, then inflation, immigration, crime coming to the fore. Throughout this whole process, there have been, I think, what we've come to call gas price determinists who have followed gas prices throughout the year as some indicator of the most apparent, obvious, in-your-face measure of inflation. And it looks like gas prices have held pretty steady, over the past several weeks, right now, the average gas price in America is $3.80. It hit a high average of $5 in the middle of June. How are you sort I mean, of processing? I have an electric car,
1: so I wouldn't know about the price of gas. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, actually. <laughs> I was uh, like,
0: uh, Nate, don't bluff. You don't have a license. I know that for a fact because I've driven you my, around. <laughs> well, I have a
1: car, though. My partner owned a car.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. And it's not an electric car. How do you know that? I did not know that. But I would think, given that you don't have a license, you would be less aware of gas prices. (laughs) I am not a gas
1: price determinist. I mean, I think it's important. I think it's probably a coincidence that it's tracked so closely with like the generic ballot and other measures. Um, It's very visible, obviously. You literally see it when you drive on the street, what the gas prices are. I think voters are a little bit more complex than that. You can't boil everything down to gas prices. But yeah, I mean, the dumbest thing, I mean, there are still now and then these Democrats who are like the media, inflation is just a creation of the media. Like, if you say that, don't ever comment – I don't like to do this right because people can be wrong about stuff and I have my share of terrible takes. If you think that like concern about inflation is just a media thing, then you are one of the dumbest I people. I think that's like
0: faded significantly. There's, there's still – there's still
1: – there's still – It's. there's
0: still some of that, dude. And I think the most obvious example is that all throughout the summer when abortion was top of mind and inflation wasn't being covered that heavily in the polls, inflation never budged from being the right. most important issue You know You it's when you're
1: paying more for – gas prices and groceries.
0: Well, right, which is why, I mean, we talked to economists earlier on in the year who were saying, during a recession, people are concerned about losing their jobs. A quite high, very high unemployment rate is 10% in the United States. And that may cause a lot of people to fear losing their jobs, but yeah. it ultimately doesn't affect everybody. Inflation affects absolutely everyone. For sure. And so that can be a sort of and even if, visceral, and Although, I mean, some people can
1: benefit, you know, if you own a home, In some parts of the country, housing values have gone up a lot, right? But you don't necessarily notice that so much, right? You're not like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm not getting like an extra paycheck. It's just that if I were to choose to sell my house at some point, it's worth more. But like it's not an immediate dividend to you.
0: So we've been engaging in looking at the data and trying to figure out what the narrative of this election is, why voters are behaving the way that they're behaving, how they think about the two parties in the current era of politics. What data are you going to be paying the most attention to in order to understand why this election turned out the way it did.
1: The votes, Galen. I'm going to be looking awesome. to see who votes for which
0: party. <laughs> um, but look, well, no, like, I mean, I think the narrative building is going to start at like 7 p.m. tomorrow.
1: So I do mostly buy, even though it's kind of cope, right? I do mostly buy the take that like this ought to be a pretty bad election for Democrats. And the fact that they're competitive is a little surprising in some ways you have 8. Point whatever percent inflation, you have Biden with a 41% approval rating. Maybe that means that actually the polls are wrong. We're going to see a big red wave. It's very possible, by the way. But if that doesn't occur, if you have this ambiguous outcome or a Democratic Senate, then like that's that's a decently impressive result and suggests that all the GOP shenanigans and extremism does have some effect, at least for some of the candidates who are nominating these key
0: Senate races. That did matter at the market. What's in the bucket of shenanigans and extremism? Is that Abortion, January 6th, election denialism. Well, abortion's not, we shouldn't
1: lump all those. I mean, January 6th and election denialism are different, and to me more severe bucket.
0: Well, sure, but it seems like we had elections last November that took place after January 6th in which Republicans did very well. Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, won the governor's race in Virginia. Republicans came pretty close in New Jersey. So we saw a post-January 6th election where Republicans did well. Now we're dealing with a post-Dobbs election. So yeah, in, in it's, terms it's of weird parsing if, which it's matters weird how more. little
1: almost that 2021 elections, it's weird how little they seem to have to do with the 2022 elections, right? I mean, I think the GOP had in some ways some like low-hanging fruit from like COVID restrictions and like education policy and whatever critical race theory means to people, whatever that bucket is, right? And like those things have not been really top of mind at all in this election. In some ways, it's been much more substantive, frankly, than Mm -hmm. 2021. So I don't know what what there is to learn from
0: 2020. Well, my suggestion slash question is that then it maybe is all about Dobbs. Like what changed between then and now? Jobs
1: is At the very least would seem to neutralize this GOP offensive on like, quote unquote cultural issues. Um, you had a lot of mass shootings this year. Gun control is not an issue we talk about that much. You also have much worse inflation. I mean, you've had Biden accomplish much more in 2022 than 2021. You have a war in Ukraine. There's a lot of stuff that's happened this year.
0: Yeah, this year. This has been a long Big year. year. Big year and for happening. It's happenings. not over yet. We still have an election. Okay, okay, let's talk about the House a little bit before we move on to listener questions. It's the day before Election Day. The forecast suggests that Republicans will win the House popular vote by four points. Our generic ballot polling average, which is the average of polls that ask, would you rather see Republicans or Democrats control Congress, shows Republicans ahead by one point. We have talked about this before. I know that there are more districts where Republicans are running unopposed than where Democrats are running unopposed. So that will help boost um, Republicans' House popular vote margin. HPV has popular vote. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you had to do it. You had to do it. How old are we? Are we like 16 years old? Oh, f- That's me. the humor level of this podcast, <laughs> specifically model talk. Um Okay. So that being said, what gives? Because I think we expected some convergence of the generic ballot average with where the forecast thought, the House popular vote would end up. But there's still a three-point gap, and the election is tomorrow. So let's talk about a few things. The generic ballot average you see on
1: 538.com is registered is not, voters not actually, actually likely the voters. same one. No, it's it's not. It's it's whatever pollsters give you. We prefer likely voters to give you both options, but it's mostly likely voter with some registered voter mixed in. The actual number our model uses... We adjust the registered voter polls to a likely voter basis, right? Well, then so why that, don't
0: we make the one that our model uses, the one that the public can see? You know what, Galen, I, I, I can't tell you that. Uh, You're like it's the day before election; it's too late for these arguments. <laughs> I can't tell you that.
1: But so we have the generic ballot average. Are, are we show you on the site is like one point for the GOP? What is it right now? Yeah, I just one point two. It. Yeah, the one our model uses is more like one point eight, so closer to two
0: points. So that's part of it. But then it still thinks there's another two points on top of that.
1: So one and a half points or so is because of these missing Democratic candidates. Right. In like 23 districts, there's no Democrat in the ballot. There's also no Republican in the ballot in like 12 districts, but like that actually has like an effect on the size of like one and a half points. Then there's some other stuff. We don't actually use only the generic ballot in a district. If you have lots of district polls, we use those polls instead. There's other factors, incumbency and so forth. And so... So when you forecast each district, including districts where there's no Democrat on the ballot or no Republican, it comes out to about a four-point prediction for a GOP popular vote win. If it weren't for the missing candidates, it would be more like GOP plus two and a half. So that's kind of our view of the national environment is that in a neutral district, partisan lean of zero, no incumbent, two identical candidates, both sidesism in the best version of that world, Right. We think the Republican would win by two and a half points based on the national environment, so-called. So more than our generic ballot average shows, but less than our popular vote estimate shows.
0: Okay, here's a question. What is a Republican overperformance or a Republican underperformance? Would you say our baseline is four points or two and a half points?
1: Our forecast of the House popular vote is that the GOP will win by four points, Part of that is because they actually have candidates in the ballot and more districts than Democrats do. But we don't account for that. So what's
0: an overperformance
1: and an underperformance? Well, I mean, if they win the House popular vote by more than four points, it'll be an overperformance relative (laughs) to the model.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. Because I think if they were to win it by four points, folks would say, like, oh, that's decent for Republicans. That's pretty good for Republicans. That's pretty typical. What is it like give a seven or eight-point shift? They lost the House
1: popular vote by, like, three points— two years ago. Mm -hmm. So what's typical shift? I used to know this. If there's like a seven or eight point shift, which is fairly average, then you get to like four or five. But again, it's a little bit inflated by the fact that you have these missing Democratic candidates. 50 state strategy, no more. Democrats just give up sometimes.
0: So if they get their four points, that's like not ultimately that good using history as a guide.
1: What was it in 2014 U.S. House election? That was the last really good Republican year in the House. And in that year, they won the House popular vote by six points. I want to do that right? Yeah. 51 minus 45 is six. Even though I'm tired, I can do that math.
0: <laughs> All right. So final question before we get to our listener questions. Did we have an October surprise this year? And is Trump our October surprise? <laughs> the surprise, Galen, is that there was no surprise. Is Trump getting back in the news talking about him, his uh, – potential 2024 announcement, I guess that's not very surprising. But at this point, is there much to say about how he is shaping the final stretch of this election? I mean,
1: times when Trump's been more present in the news cycle have not been good for Republicans, so it's not helpful, I don't think. But I'm not sure that people are being swayed by by Trump or by Elon's endorsement of Republicans this morning. I'm not sure that's going to shape things too much.
0: You know, I missed that. Yeah. What did he do?
1: He's like, we need balance in this country, so vote Republican this year.
0: I'm sure that that will have a really important influence on American voters. Okay, let's get to some of our listener questions. Today's podcast is brought to you by Shopify. Ready to make the smartest choice for your business? Say hello to Shopify, the global commerce platform that makes selling a breeze. backed by Shopify's extensive support and help resources. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Start your success story today. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash 538. That's the numbers, not the letters. Shopify.com slash 538. You're a podcast listener,
2: and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All
0: right. Our first question comes from Jacob Rabashkin, who's actually uh, been a contributor actually, on our live blog. Someone, wow, someone actually.
1: Qualified and professional answering asking ask us questions. question. That's rude.
0: We got some really good okay. listener questions. I know. We
1: get great listener questions on being
0: an ass. How would the models forecast change if you took out all of the House polling but left in Senate and Governor polling?
1: Took out all the House polling but left in Senate and Governor polling? I have no idea. That's too good a question. All right. It's too good a question, Jacob.
0: Right, <laughs> Sorry, we can't answer your question. <laughs> well, it's just, is the House polling better for Republicans or worse for Republicans? I think it's been... I think it's been worse. Well, there, I have the Times be. polling was worse, but I guess— I have to be honest. I have been
1: so focused in the Senate this year because it's so much more close and competitive that I, I don't have the encyclopedic knowledge of the House polling landscape. Our apologies,
0: Jacob. Actually, this might be something that you can figure out yourself if you look into right. our our 538. averages. There you go. Oh, Breaking news. Breaking news.
1: Republicans now have a 56% chance of winning the Senate. That means they are slightly favored instead of a dead heat, according to 5 Fox.
0: Ooh. Breaking news right here on Model Talk. Yeah. We often break news on Model Talk. We do. We really do. Okay. Ariel asks: Are there any plausible outcomes of these elections that will cause you to make fundamental changes to the model for next cycle? Uh I... you're like, um, that breaks my brain. Next cycle? Next cycle. I mean, if the polling's really shitty,
1: then maybe just turn the model off. (laughs) Right? I'm not going to battle with impossibly terrible polling. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could make a model, right? But I'd just turn the sh off, probably. Yeah. Go back to
0: vibes only. I mean, you can still short the vibes. You can still short the vibes. Yeah. I mean... You'd make a polling average and say, well, this is at least what the polling shows, but... Make a polling, I mean,
1: yeah. But if it becomes, like, impossible to, like, know if anyone has any idea what they're doing. That's, then-
0: you know, that's kind of letting the haters win, Nate. If you turn the forecast... All, the, all really? of the people have been saying, these forecasts are garbage in, garbage out. Early man? I have so many other things I could do
1: <laughs> that I enjoy more than the fucking election
0: model. Okay, we'll get existential like this. Okay. After the election actually happens and we see whether or not we all have to find different jobs next question (laughs) henry asks is there any evidence of hurting in the polls of course you called someone out earlier in this podcast but apart from the unnamed possibly canadian pollster yeah go
1: to like the 538 poll scroll polling page and like the poll scroll. i I like that i dare you to find like One remotely surprising result in that. Any poll released in the past 24 hours, no one's remotely been, I mean, you know, Trafalgar has Raphael Warnock losing in Georgia. Shocker. Canadian polling company matches the 538 averages exactly in every state. Like, there's not a single interesting result there. So you think there's quite a bit of hurting going on? Of course.
0: Come on. And that's what the incentives dictate. Should that make our alarm bells go off? Because usually, on average, hurting makes averages less accurate.
1: I mean, there hasn't been, like, a ton of movement in the last five or six days. But, like, basically, I should check and see this. I wonder if you, like, in presidential primaries, this is the exception because their races move so fast, you need the last-minute polling. I do kind of wonder if, like, looking at the polling averages on Friday is better than Tuesday morning sometimes. Because it's all ass-covering from Friday through Tuesday. You never learn anything that anyone would remotely actually put themselves on the
0: line. Oh... That's interesting. What, to you, is the most interesting polling result you've seen in the past week?
1: I do think those polls showing that very small likely registered voter gap, ABC and NBC, were interesting, right?
0: Oh, so the most interesting poll from the last week is our employer's poll? Our employer's poll. Nice name. Correct. Nice. Gotcha. Company man right here. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Next question is from Jacob. Is there an impact to the model based on differences in voter engagement On state-level races, like a House Democrat in Ohio might have a better shot than normal due to the high-profile Senate race, whereas a competitive New York district doesn't have that boost.
1: No, we don't account for that, and that would probably be a smart thing to account for.
0: So because Tim Ryan, the Democrat in the Senate race in Ohio, is doing significantly better than you would expect a Democrat to do, that other down-ballot Democrats may end up doing better?
1: It's probably true, but we don't account for that. So, yeah.
0: Okay, next question. This is such a classic question. Blair asks, like Nate, I'm a big sports fan, and for sports, momentum is key. How does momentum factor into political races?
1: So, in theory, the model is supposed to be designed in such a way that there's no autocorrelation, and what that means is that the forecast today doesn't tell you anything about the forecast tomorrow, right? That's so you we go call from a like, random walk. A random walk. If you go from sixty to fifty-five percent. GOP chance. The best forecast for what the forecast will say tomorrow is 55. You can't derive anything from the trajectory of the forecast so far. Sometimes you'll see in the midterm forecast where our model is pretty conservative about updating for new information. So maybe you have some sense based on the generic ballot. Things are shifting, but you don't see it in individual races until later. Conversely, our presidential forecast is designed to be more aggressive and make inferences about how races shift from one race to another. But in general, I don't think momentum tells you that much. I mean, clearly the GOP has closed the race pretty well, but I think that should be accounted for by the fact that they're now at 56% in the Senate when they were at 29% September 17th. So there's been momentum, but I think it's pretty well priced into our forecast.
0: Well, okay. So here's a good follow-up question in that case from Henry, which is, is it troubling that the deluxe forecast moved consistently towards Democrats from July to September, then consistently towards Republicans from September to November? A little bit. That's not great.
1: That doesn't seem very random walkie and you'd want it to be more random walkie. So that's, that's not...
0: Wait, what are some potential reasons that it isn't random walkie?
1: Um, such a nice little curve here. In the, uh, <laughs> so one reason could be that it's not well designed and that uh, it should update more aggressively, right? Although weirdly that would have caused a bigger bounce back and forth. You know, maybe it was too optimistic about Democrats after Dobbs and should have clung to like the priors a bit longer. But it could also have to do with, like, the vibe that pollsters are hurting more and more in an environment with less and less gold center polling and therefore that they're kind of copying off one another and that this is partly artificial. I don't know. None of it's great, though. <laughs> it's not a very natural pattern for a random walk. So something's a little amiss. Would you change something? If you're seeing a lot of pollster hurting back and forth, then that kind of, I think, violates <laughs> certain assumptions of the model. And it probably in some sense reflects public sentiment but is not ideal necessarily. I mean, it's also like not crazy to think that there are, I mean, there are benign explanations, right? Democrats legitimately did have like a lot of good news cycles in a row in in the summer and some more problematic ones after that. That's not crazy to think. Or maybe it's a sense of voters, like we talked about before, maybe Democrats got energized earlier because of Dobbs and GOP came later on. And a lot of these races you see actually not Democrats losing ground, but GOP gaining votes from undecided. So it's not, it's not crazy, but it's not ideal. If this pattern happened in every election, then I'd say something's wrong with the way that we're forecasting.
0: Okay. Virginia contrarian asks, we've gotten questions from this contrarian from Virginia. Plenty of times throughout this cycle Nate How has do you talked know from Virginia from Twitter. Nate has talked about the theory that polling error in 2016 and 2020 was tied to Trump turning out low propensity voters. This person says through his celebrity, but there are various reasons that it could have happened. Is there any evidence that celebrities do better in elections or tend to beat their polls? And could this logic apply to Walker and Oz? That's interesting. We'll see. That's a good question. I like that question. I have no answer, though. Okay, next question. Pre-Trump slash COVID, it seems Republicans always won the early vote. Afterwards, that flipped to Democrats. Who is largely expected to win the early vote and Election Day vote this time around? Or should it be looked at as neutral or even an unknown? And does this even matter?
1: I mean, I guess I assume that Democrats tend to do more early mail voting and that GP gains on election day. But, you know, I get so turned off by like conversations about the early vote because they're almost always just partisan wish casting that like I, I haven't looked at it as much as I should, but it will matter. I mean, we still have like are going to have in a lot of states like a red shift or a blue shift where certain batches of ballots are counted first. I assume, again, that mail ballots are going to be somewhat Democratic. They didn't used to be, but I assume there's some hangover effect from from COVID still.
0: So I think this is an important place to say that a lot of the stuff that we talked about in 2020 still applies in 2022, which is yeah. don't jump to early conclusions on election night based on the results that you're seeing in places like Arizona, Nevada, I mean, to all of the states that we're going to be watching closely, It's a hard. It still
1: kind of is a little bit of a mind <laughs> right? Like, I think people are just not, you know, I mean, we were doing like rehearsals for ABC News TV night, right? It's hard to like have a case where you like actually like, are looking at numbers on a screen and every county is like more blue or more red than you were expecting and you know it's going to shift, it's still kind of hard to wrap your brain
0: around that. So we also got some questions this time around from the folks watching along on YouTube. Shout out to everyone on YouTube. We're in the studio. We've got all this nice lighting, especially like we even have extra lights today set up for... Election extra day. bright and shiny. I know. So we look we look extra good. Thanks mm. Tony. So here's one of the questions from the folks on YouTube. How does your confidence in your election model compare to your confidence in the various sports models 538 provides? Have you learned anything from the non-political modeling that's informed the model in past years?
1: I mean sports in some ways is easier in the sense that you just have a lot more data. It's a more data-rich environment and so you can kind of be more like oh, this is just how things work, which is less true for politics. You know, we also have more team members, to be honest, devoted to politics and elections, so things get updated a little bit faster. If there's some poll, they'll get entered very fast, usually. If there's some injury in the NBA model, then although we're now trying to, like, automate some of this. It might take a while to enter in. But you know that New York offers a plethora of sports betting options? Mm-hmm. You know, I've learned a little bit from that. I've learned a lot about what sports betting. What have you betting. learned? Um, Any hot tips? Okay, you have to, like, bet early, The best lines are lines that are posted right at the beginning when it opens and not after everyone else has gotten to make the market move. So then you're spending it's like one random dude who sets the lines and not the entire sports betting community. Be aggressive about shopping for different lines. If there are eight different like legal sports books open in New York, you're going to get a better price somewhere than others. And that can actually take you from negative expected value to neutral or positive. Mm, Specialized. Hot tips specialize. If you have a particular type of sport or bet that you follow, then focus on that. That gives you maybe a finding chance to be better than the consensus if you just kind of dabble in things that's less likely.
0: Yeah. Thank you for all of that. Yeah. It's not going to help me, but I hope it helps someone. All right. Next question. Desi asks, did debates affect any poll for Senate or governor this year? I guess we've been wondering, Will the d- do the debates matter? Will they matter? I think the conventional wisdom is that they matter more in primaries because there's not quite as much of a hurdle to get over to switch your candidate. We have had had Pennsylvania
1: close from. I mean, at one point, Federman was up ten point seven points on September tenth, and now it's tied. So clearly, that made some. Well, actually, I take that back because, like this, a
0: lot of the you you can't actually point to like yeah, yeah,
1: it looked like a fairly steady closure since mid October and not. Because of the debate necessarily? I remember
0: yeah. on the day of the debate it had closed to a three point gap. In yeah. The polling average. That's still a pretty big shift. From three to even. Yeah. Although we you know we don't oh, the know PA is is it very, momentum. Is it the PA debate? is
1: very vibesy.
0: It's very vibesy. You mean the polling is vibesy?
1: Very vibesy polling. Yeah.
0: So you think you think it's less accurate? People are just going with what they feel like might be the result as opposed to what the numbers are really telling them.
1: I mean, there's this whole narrative about pollsters flooding the zone, which I think is mostly dubious, but it's a pretty zone, floody mix of polls in Pennsylvania,
0: which is to say a lot of, insider banished putting their stuff on the Anna scale Wick, You know, I don't think
1: putting, I mean, they might be right. They've been some of the most accurate pollsters in the past couple of election cycles. So they might very well be right. But like, but Pennsylvania feels like a lot of vibes. A lot of vibes.
0: Okay, so on that topic, in a sense, we get a lot of listener questions along the lines of, so in this case, for example, Chester says, I've been talking door knocking to voters for the last few months in deep red parts of Ohio, and it seems like Tim Ryan is quite popular. What are his chances? Could the model be off by five points? So this is a genre of question. I'm going to broaden it out. Is Are there any areas where you actually think a candidate is being underestimated or overestimated, in the forecast right now, the day before election day. We've talked about this before. I know Georgia is one that you've said maybe Raphael Warnock has a better shot than the forecast suggests, but anything else. And I'll name a couple of the other names that came up from our YouTube watchers. They were Franken in Iowa, so the Democrat in Iowa, or O'Day in Colorado, who's the Republican in Colorado.
1: I mean, in general, I am anti-upsets in those races. And also I'm like anti-Lee Zeldin- upset in New York. I mean, the partisan leans of these states are often pretty strong. Colorado is a blue state at this point. New York is a very blue state. Ohio is a red state. That's not where I'd be looking for upsets. I think Armada does a good job of calibrating those different estimates and there's whatever fiscal chance there is. But, you know, voters sometimes come home. I mean, in New York, I think I tweeted this or mastodoned it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I tried to get in Mastodon. I couldn't. You know, This has the feeling of a race in New York that if there had been no hype about it, like the New Jersey governor's race last year, that maybe gets close because the GOP voters are more excited here in New York. We don't have competitive house races. We don't have a mayoral race. There's not much version of vote in New York, but now you see 73 billion New York Post headlines about Lee Zeldin's comeback and then you show up to vote and that probably keeps Hochul in the governor's mansion.
0: You're saying that the New York Post is uh, keeping Kavi Hochul in the governor's mansion? That's a hot take.
1: <laughs> it's know, hard I, know the, for, I
0: know what you're saying. It's hard for—and Lee Shelton's like a republican Republican, right? He's not some,
1: like, George Pataki moderate.
0: Right. I mean, most significantly on Trump and January 6th issues.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's been a little bit ambiguous, but, like, he's—you know, he's not— well, he,
0: Before he ran, to be clear, he was close with Trump. Throughout Trump's presidency and on January 6th on Fox News from the Capitol, you know, coming up with excuses and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: Although I think our interactive does not officially classify him as he he's classified as like election denial curious by our interactive, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, yes, sure.
1: Yeah. But he is not someone that has a traditional crossover appeal and like it's a very blue state. So the fact that this has been so publicized is an upset in some sense makes it less likely, I think.
2: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
0: Okay, last serious question, then we'll get in a few jokey questions before we wrap, we got plenty of a version of this question, which is, is there a particular race or state, district, et cetera, that you're going to be watching on? So you're going to be, you know, on ABC News. Folks should tune into ABC News. Folks should also tune into our live blog at 538.com. They should also tune into our YouTube channel. We're going to be recording videos all night. We're also going to have a podcast out at the end of the night. So tune into all of that. But you are going to be on ABC News, responsible for telling the nation What is happening as it happens? What are you going to be paying most attention to in that hot seat doing your duty for the nation, Mr. Silver?
1: I'll give a little bit of a boring answer, which is New Hampshire, of all things. And the reason why is that New Hampshire tends to count its vote pretty quickly. It's a pretty uniform state. There's not like super blue and red patches of New Hampshire. So New Hampshire is a place where we can get a relatively early read. On things, there's two house seats there. There's a senate race. The governor race is not supposed to be competitive. It's but also it,
0: pretty swingy. It's pretty swingy. Okay.
1: If Maggie Hassan lost, then that looks very bad for Democrats.
0: That's a two point race right now in the yeah in the polling average. Yeah, and Democrats kind of helped boost Don Bullock, who his opponent in the primary was a more establishment candidate. So that could be a real. What's the expression that I'm looking for? up if Democrats ended up boosting Donald Bolduc and then he actually won against Maggie Hassan?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that would, be, that would be not really that much of an upset according to our model, but that would make it much harder for Democrats to retain the Senate. That'd be bad news for them for sure.
0: Okay, so here's some jokey questions. Michael asks, would you rather have, one, die and go to hell where you have to analyze an election <laughs> cycle that gets closer and closer to election day but never happens, or two, the model be off by 15 points. Two, because I just could just quit. Yeah, obviously, one is literally like <laughs> the hell rewrite Dante's yeah. Inferno because that is a <laughs> unique and horrible way of experiencing yeah. eternity, 100%. Okay, next question is, how are you preparing for the stress and lack of sleep awaiting both of you on election night? I mean, the good thing about election... Night is that not much really happens on
1: election day. You don't have to be at the office until, you know, late afternoon, early evening. I already voted. We can vote early now in New York. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to kind of sleep in tomorrow probably.
0: Well, you know what day actually sucks? Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday is the worst day because you've had maybe two to three hours. We'll see what happens. Unlike Tuesday where you're not really covering the election results all day. You're covering election results all day on Wednesday and yeah, on much yeah. less sleep. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe um, a lot of coffee and, uh, you know, nicotine maybe, booze. Definitely. I don't know. We, you know, we, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Final question here.
1: How much- oh, breaking news. Oh, no. It's now a dead heat for the Senate again. It's going back to 55-45. <laughs> you know what? F*** the <laughs> I'm out of here.
0: <laughs> okay, final question. How much PTO is 5E taking after Tuesday? Well, like I said, 5e's not off-duty until well into the week.
1: I mean, I think foxes have, like, a different conception of, like, work-life balance. Because they're I'm,
0: always working.
1: I don't know. I mean...
0: Or are they always not working?
1: They are just much happier existentially than humans are. So, like, 5e is always doing what 5e wants show, to do.
0: Show me the receipts. Where's the empirical evidence that foxes are happier than humans? Just look at them. 5 <laughs> <5E's> right there. <laughs> okay. He's just doing a Rubik's Cube yeah. on the counter. yeah. I don't know. I feel like foxes are always working though because like you're always trying to find food and shelter and like worry about your safety.
1: Foxes are very Nietzschean, right? They want to like achieve success and righteousness through work.
0: Yeah. So are you saying that 5 not taking any PTO? 5e will do what 5e... 5e is preparing for Trump to potentially announce his 2024 oh, candidacy no. on November 14th. Oh, no. Five- That's why... not... yeah. So 5e can't take any PTO. That's not 5e's department. 5e doesn't have to, you know... There's I still- mean, 5 has got to make a Republican presidential primary
1: forecast. We have a cool presidential primary model. 5e's hard work is done. Yeah? just to show up on the forecast and say fun, comforting stuff, and yeah.
0: What, what is 5e currently saying on the forecast?
1: Each dot represents a potential electoral outcome according to our model. That's some text there. Hover over. Numbers or- need context. Read our election updates for more. That's very un 5 like I feel like those words were put into 5 mouth.
0: Numbers need context. No they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another one. Since the 2010 election Republicans have held the majority of governorships. They currently hold 28 seats while Democrats hold 22. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Fivey's mm. giving us historical context. Thank you Fivey.
1: Oh there's congrats to me everything is fine Fivey says. Oh wow. I didn't even know I hadn't even seen that one. Oh wait, it's down where you scroll all me.
0: the way down to the bottom it says oh <laughs> wow, I didn't know. That's congrats, a great. Congrats little Easter egg that everything I wasn't is aware fine. Of. And then there's an upside down smiley face and Fivey's drinking a coffee in a room that appears to be on fire. That is. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Did somebody break into the forecast? Maybe I I love that. (laughs) And change five. Okay. What's your final thought, Nate? Anything you want to get on the record before election day, you've got to get on the record now.
1: Okay. So when I pre-register one, it's a big night for pollsters Two, I've never had like less intuition for what would happen. I want to pre-register that take. And three, you know, I don't know if I say enough, all the shit that's happening with like election deniers on the ballot and more political violence, it's pretty scary, right? I'm pretty worried about the future of this country. So I want to pre-register that take.
0: All right. Well, there you have it. The final pre-2022 midterms model talk. We're going to leave it there. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Galen. My name is Galen Druk, Tony Chow and Emily Vanezky are in the control room, and Chadwick Matlin is our editorial director. You can get in touch by emailing us at podcasts at 538.com. You can also, of course, tweet at us with any questions or comments. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating or review in the Apple Podcast Store, or just tell someone about us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.